Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I am Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, and candidly, it should be one of your favorite topics too. That's creditors' rights, bankruptcy. What do you do if you get into trouble? What do you do if somebody owes you money? And my guest today is an expert on this topic. Now, listen, the uh, the bar of Illinois, the Illinois State Bar, may not say he can call himself an expert, so I'm going to do it for him. My guest today is Harold Israel, and he is exactly who we've been looking for. He's a creditor's rights advocate. He's a, he's an attorney who can help people who need to get money from other people. And he's also somebody who could give you advice if you owe money to folks and you're concerned about the future of your business. Please join me in welcoming Harold Israel to the Inside BS Show. Harold, thank you for joining us. I'm really glad we're having this conversation today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Appreciate it. All right, so you and I have something in common, and I purposely didn't talk to you about it before the show. We both started our business careers delivering newspapers. So tell me, I delivered newspapers in the snow in New York. Um, where did you deliver newspapers, and how did that help you get into, like, as a jumping off point for your business career? Well, I also delivered newspapers in the snow, but in suburban Detroit. And it was the first lesson in customer service, um, delivering newspapers, like also working in food services or almost any industry, including the law, you realize the importance of pleasing your customers, um, whether they're clients or newspaper. Um, Can you believe how hard we worked for like a quarter or a 50 cent tip? I mean, I killed myself. And if somebody gave me a 50 cent tip, that was like a great day. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. And how early we woke up to do it. <laughs> oh man, what a, what a nightmare. And for me, I would have to go, they, they wouldn't, so I had like a sub route of a main paper route. So they didn't, like a lot of people had the papers dropped off at their house. Like I had to go like 17 blocks over to somebody else's house, count out my, I forget what, like 145 or 160 papers and then put them in the bag myself and then go deliver. And what a huge pain in the neck. <laughs> That would be. I actually, they were delivered to my house. The um. yeah, you had you you had it good. I walked uphill both ways, Harold. All right, so talk to us about. I mean, I get this question a lot. I have a lot of um, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who occasionally, especially like during COVID or when I started my business back in two thousand eight, who fall behind on bills, right? And the phone starts ringing, and I don't know, Harold, if it's human nature or if it's fear, but they, the, the, their tendency is not to answer the phone when, when the creditors are calling. Explain, in your professional opinion, why that's a terrible move. It is because everybody assumes the worst when you are not answering the phone. And so that will likely increase the fa um, chances they'll send you a nasty gram or they'll start litigation against you. Uh, my, my advice is always um, to the troubled business owner, it's to start telling your story, explain what's going on, why you need a little bit more time, why forcing action today might make things worse. And tell the business owners who are, who are listening, who are watching us, that why creditors want to avoid, everybody thinks creditors want to litigate. Everybody thinks creditors want to come after them. Explain, as somebody who does this, why the creditors want to avoid litigation as much as possible. 
Well, they do primarily because of cost. They don't want to spend good money after bad. And so if you have a compelling story, they may relax their efforts. And then if they ever get into bankruptcy land, there's a higher risk that any payments they collect may have to be shipped back to the bankruptcy estate. So they, they really all they really want is timely payment or a really good reason why they can't be timely paid. Right. So that you can work with them. All right. So let's there's there's a, a couple of scenarios where I can envision calling you and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But let's let's take the first scenario. And my business is doing fine, but I work in an industry that is you know challenged. By the way, this is all hypothetical. So don't anybody read into this. I work in an industry, let's say, that's challenged. And a couple of people who I did work for now owe me money and I'm concerned that's a good time to call you. What should I do before I call you? Well, always to save costs, you should try and call them first and see if you can work it out. Because if you can work it out amongst you and the other person, you're saving yourself money. You're not spending it on me, which is good for you. Maybe not as good for me, but in the end, it, it works out okay. And if you find that they are not being responsive within a period of time, call it 10, 20 days, then you probably want to start calling me because you, they're probably avoiding your calls. And then they may act faster if they get a letter on my letterhead that says, I have been retained by ABC company. We have not been paid in two months. Um, we, if we don't hear from you, we are going to start legal action. That may spur right. a, a response. Now, let's say I'm doing work for, and again, this is hypothetical, but I'm doing work for an airline, right? Airlines notoriously have bankruptcy issues that, you know, because they have a, it's a high cost business, a lot of union work. So they go, they, they file for bankruptcy protection and I'm a little guy, right? Why do I need you when an airline files for bankruptcy? When an airline files for bankruptcy and you're just a small creditor, we can assist you in getting your proof of claim on file and that will protect your rights with respect to a distribution in the bankruptcy case. If you're a larger creditor, then you wanna call us because there are other th actions you could take, including serving on what's called the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors, in which case the bankruptcy estate basically pays your, your freight, your fees and costs, and you're not paying anything. So it really kind of depends where you are on the hierarchy of creditors. And you guys, and I mean, lawyers who practice in this area, it's like, it's kind of like a fraternity, right? Because each, each lawyer can only represent one client in that action in most cases. So there could be 25, 35, depending on, on the size of the case, there could be 50 lawyers involved, right? Absolutely. And, and lawyers can actually represent more than one client, oh, okay. but that doesn't change the fact that you can have multiple lawyers and multiple clients. Um, going in at the same time. And very often we will represent numerous clients. We let everybody know we're doing it, but it's a way to share the cost, right? Okay, so do you, do you handle both sides of it? So if I'm in trouble and I call you, you can, you can, you know, hire, you can help me from, you know, keep the creditors at bay, file for bankruptcy protection and explain to people, Harold, what, first of all, I wanna address the stigma of bankruptcy, right? Everybody feels like, and we've all seen these memes that are out there and the articles, oh, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln filed for bankruptcy, uh, this person filed for bankruptcy, that person, you know. So 
that doesn't help when somebody's at a, at a real low point and they're like, man, I don't know what else to do. I can't, my cash flow, my business is still operating, but my cash flow won't allow me to keep up with the amount that I owe. So address the stigma of bankruptcy for people. Help them understand why it exists in the first place. Sure. Um, to answer your very first question is yes, we represent both companies and creditors. And with respect to the stigma for bankruptcy, the very first thing we, I tell people is I'm a bankruptcy lawyer and bankruptcy might not be the best solution for you. There may be other alternatives outside of bankruptcy that get you to the same place. Uh, but however, if you do need to file for bankruptcy, it happens quite frequently. And the stigma for the most part is mostly internal. Um, society is used to it by say if you're an individual you're going to pay higher interest rates for a period of seven to ten years and it's going to be on your record and you're going to have to answer that on credit applications and the like but you could still get credit it's kind of at a higher rate um, and from a company perspective it's almost transactional now for many companies um, so many companies that we've all heard of whether it be gm or chrysler or american or united have all filed for bankruptcy and come back yeah that it's a way to effectuate a, a restructuring transaction. And in large part, that stigma is, is almost gone for businesses. Okay, so help people, and, and I need you to keep it as basic as possible, Harold. Explain the difference between like a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 11 and a Chapter 13. Those are the, as far as I know, the three most common in layman's terms you know, individual versus company, uh, reorganization versus liquidation. Explain to folks what all that means. Sure. So chapter seven is one most people are familiar with. That's when an individual files for bankruptcy and they're, um, they cannot pay their claims. So their claims will get discharged in a bankruptcy case. Um, chapter 11 can be used by individuals, but it's primarily used by companies. And the purpose of Chapter 11 is to reorganize and keep and start afresh, but often businesses do sell and liquidate in Chapter 11. Chapter 13 is when individuals seek to repay their debts. They, they have various reasons they want to do that. And so um, think of Chapter 13 as Chapter 11 for individuals. They repay their debts over three to five years. Okay, so... Let's talk a little bit about a common situation for entrepreneurs now. I let's say I went out and got credit. And by the way, folks, I'm I'm using I on behalf of all of you. So just know that. So let's say I went out and I got credit and I had to sign a personal guarantee, right? So that means that I pledge my personal assets in addition to my business assets. And all of a sudden I turn around and there's a global pandemic, right? And my business is is grinding to a halt. And now every creditor's calling me and I'm telling them, hey, listen, you know, uh, COVID, blah, 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 the whole bit. And they give me some time. They give me a forbearance or whatever. And I'm out of time now. There's, there's just nothing else. I can, and, I'm, and I'm busting my butt trying to get business in the door. But I have a business, let's say, that I have to do in person. And it's just going to take more time. So I got this personal guarantee. I got my company that's on the hook to do we have to file like twice for me personally and for the business? Can we only file one and maybe negotiate? How does that work? Because I know a lot of people who are in this exact spot right now. 
Yes. So what we usually do in that situation is file the company first and try and work out the debts with the company, have talks with our lender to say, look, we're selling all the collateral. We're doing the best we can. Let's wait until the money comes in and see what happens. And then we'll figure out what to do about the guarantee. And in the most successful cases, right, we sell the business and that satisfies the guarantee. And where it's not successful, we try to negotiate with the lender and say, look, we did the best we could. We sold our collateral. We cooperated with you. Will you forgive the guarantee? And then the lender will usually say in responses, show us your personal financial statement. Prove to us you cannot repay us. And they will do a lobotomy on that personal financial statement. And if they think you're hiding assets, they're going to come after you pretty hard on the guarantee. If you've been cooperative and a good person, they may take substantially less than what they're owed. Very few lenders today walk away with nothing if if the borrower, if the individual guarantor has assets. Mm-hmm. Most very few lenders actually, if you owe me $2 million on a personal guarantee, I'm probably only going to collect a fraction of that. And the question is, based on the personal financial statement and your trustworthiness, where you're going to end up on that spectrum. Okay. So a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people use the term judgment proof. They say, hey, I'm judgment proof. There's nothing they can get out of me. What does that mean? And does that even exist? It, It does actually exist to some extent because there are certain trusts where people can move their assets as long as they're not doing it in contemplation of bankruptcy where all of their assets go to foreign trusts or, or certain trusts in the United States. Um, the most common example, very candidly, is what the Sacklers are doing in the Purdue case. The Sacklers are worth billions and billions of dollars, and yet very, very few of those billions are in places where creditors can reach. And the bankruptcy judge expressed great frustration at that and basically threw up his hands and said, look, I didn't create the spendthrift laws. I didn't create the ability to shift your money overseas, but what they did was not illegal. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's better for you. It's better for everyone concerned if they bring you in to do the negotiation up front because you have an extra leverage, an extra tool of leverage in your toolkit. Explain why bankruptcy attorneys negotiating with creditors really, in my opinion, have a leg up over other litigators. Explain to folks why that is. Well, because we know what's going to happen in bankruptcy court, and we can bring that expertise in to say, look, what is going to happen in court? Litigators, the focus is, right, getting the highest judgment, right? And where we say, you know, maybe getting the highest judgment's a goal, but if you can't collect, what good is it? And if it's reasonably likely they're going to file for bankruptcy, this is what's going to happen in your bankruptcy case. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, tell people what the automatic stay is and why and why that is such a big deal and why that's that's a huge reason why a lot of people will file to begin with. Explain explain how that works to folks. Great question. So the automatic stay comes into into play upon the filing of any bankruptcy petition. And what that means in kind of plain English is it puts a stop to all collection activities of any type or nature. It doesn't matter whether it's wage garnishment or a lawsuit where a brief is due um, or writing a dunning letter. It all comes to a stop. 
And if you have knowledge of the automatic stay and violate it, you are the one who could be subject to sanctions by the bankruptcy court. The rules are widely known, and you're, as soon as you get that notice of bankruptcy, cease and desist. Okay, and does that mean, does that give you, how much time does that give you, and are you negotiating during that whole time? Yes, so we'll take the Chapter 11 case. Um, it lasts until really a plan is confirmed or the case is otherwise resolved. And what you are doing is you are focusing on resolving your creditor claims instead of litigating them. And instead of spending money on lawyers to litigate the claims, you're trying to resolve all the claims in the case. It, and it does, you're allowed to do so without the pressure of litigation. Now, creditors sometimes do file what's known as motions to modify the automatic stay. So they can go back to state court or other federal courts to, to liquidate their claims and then collect in the bankruptcy case or to go after insurance. But it really is one of the primary purposes of bankruptcy is to give the debtor a breathing spell from litigation. Okay. So all of this, I, I laid this foundation because I want folks to know that, well, I, I want folks to understand that this is all done to help you get come out of a bad situation in the best shape possible. So, you know, my my biggest concern is that people make bad decisions because of the unknown. So I want to talk to people like you, Harold, because the more light we can shed on these things, the more options we give to business owners, the more they realize, hey, look, you know, it's not the end of the world. It may not even be the end of your business if something like this has to happen. Can you give us, Harold, would you mind sharing a case study with us where somebody came to you or a business came to you in bad shape? They thought, listen, we're going to have to file for bankruptcy protection. And either you just applied the law to their fact pattern and it just worked out where you didn't have to file bankruptcy or you pull a rabbit out of a hat and you don't have to file bankruptcy. Could you, would you mind sharing a case study with us? Or yeah, ha happy to do. I, I've been working for the last three years with a local manufacturer whose business was just devastated by, by COVID. It was a, a consumer good practice, um, party goods, call it. People were not having parties. And they were devastated. And I came in and they were already in default in their loan agreement. And the I guess the, from the company's perspective, the assets were worth so little that the bank couldn't foreclose because they weren't going to get anything. So over two or three years, we negotiated forbearance agreements with the lender. Um, every six months or a year, we would default on them. Company, The lender would come back and... By then, we had a, I had a good rep, rapport with the, the lenders council, and we kind of would game play. And they gave kept giving us more time until we reached um, last year when we were starting to emerge a little bit from COVID, pre-Omni. And they gave us a strict deadline and said, because um, we've um, been paying off the loan over that time. So now we were, we were owed... Um, the amount we owed was less than the, was greater than the collateral, so they could foreclose. And they gave us a September 30th deadline that said, we need an, a lender here or you're done. And we had been after lender and lender. The company had not had enough time to really build its story, even though its business was improving. In fact, they couldn't hire enough employees um, 
to meet the building demand because people were starting to have these types of parties again. But they needed money to, to manufacture the product. And so literally we found a lender in August that closed on September 30th. And for the first time in three years, the company's um, executives are now operating their business as opposed to negotiating with lenders every day. Um, it was it was really almost miraculous that they made it to this point. 300 jobs were preserved, and the company is continuing to perform under its new loan agreement six months later. That's terrific. And you didn't, did you ever file for, for we, bankruptcy protection? We never filed for bankruptcy. We always had it in our hand. And we, and we talked to the lender about it and we said, you know, these, these sorts of bad things are going to happen to us and these th bad things are going to happen to you. Let's work together to avoid that. And we did. We came up with creative solutions. I would say the lawyers communicate, we're on better communication terms than the clients. Mm. And so we kind of would come up with ideas that one or the other would throw out there. And with many cases, money does solve many ills. And so we ended up paying probably a little bit higher fee than we would have wanted to emerge from this problem, but but it worked. Um, we avoided That's the great. bankruptcy That's... process. We avoided all sorts and they, we had deal, we, you know, we delayed payments with creditors, worked out transactions. I think we're almost up to speed on all our creditor agreements as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, good for them and good for you. That's great. All right, Harold, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to take a minute and think about it. I want you to explain to people what they shouldn't do, the things they shouldn't do, the mistakes that people make when they start to fall behind on their bills. Like there's, there's, all, there's a lot of things they shouldn't do, but give us the worst things that they shouldn't do. And I want you to do that in just one minute because I need to remind folks that our show is brought to you by Sundrowski Corporate Advisors. So for over 35 years, Sundrowski has provided expert client service all over the United States. Now they can help you with tax planning. They can do family office advisory, which is for affluent people who set up separate companies to manage their money. They do a lot in this area. They help with dispute advisory and business valuation and litigation support, as well as forensic accounting and risk management. So one of the things I tell people all the time is if your business is doing well and you think you have a time horizon for selling your business that maybe say five to 10 years from now, this is the perfect time to call Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Why? You want them to come in and look at the structure of your business at least five years before you're ready to sell it. Because if you have a business of a certain size and you're in some specific industries, Sandrowski can help you shelter the proceeds of the sale of that business from taxes. This is called the Qualified Small Business Exemption. Now, they need to come in at least five years in advance and they need to take a good look at the way your business is structured and they may have to help you restructure your business, but the savings could be phenomenal. By doing this, they have saved their clients millions and millions of dollars. 
I can't stress this enough to you. You need to be thinking about how your business will end. You need to be thinking about what's going to happen. And that would be the time while you're thinking about it to bring in Sandrowski. Actually, the best time to bring them in would have been when you started your business, but that's too late. So now it's too late for that now. I want you to do it today. Call them at this number, 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you want a business development plan, and I'm not talking about a business development plan that involves you making cold calls or doing bus bench advertising or setting up billboards. I'm talking about using relationships to help you advance your business by really giving to people and then expecting that they will return the favor down the road. I'm talking about doing some really focused targeting, referral-based marketing. I'm talking about relationships. If you want to do that, download my Revenue Roadmap Guide now. It is a business development plan for professionals, CPAs, lawyers, financial advisors, consultants. I use this with my clients every day. You can have it for free. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com is the website. Enter your contact info. Download that guide right now. Use it today. It's my gift to you for watching us on YouTube or for listening to the show. All right, we're talking to Harold Israel. He's a partner with Levenfeld Perlstein, and you can reach him if you want to talk about bankruptcy or if you have a creditor's issue where people owe you money. I want you to call him at this number, 312-476-7573, All right, Harold. So people make mistakes when times get tough. What are some of the things they absolutely should never, ever do when they're getting in trouble financially and their business may need to, they may need to call you and they may need to file for protection. The number one mistake people make is they start trying to move their assets out of the company to somewhere else for very little or no money. That's what's called fraudulent transfer. And it don't, you don't have to have a fraudulent intent um, to do it. It could be um, almost anything where your company does not get what's called reasonably equivalent value in exchange for the transfer. But that's the number one thing companies ask me when they call is, can I move this asset? Can I shield this? And the answer is almost always no. Um, the statute of limitations, depending on your state, is four or five years. And so if you're thinking about moving assets and you're insolvent, um, you probably should not because you're setting yourself up for litigation, either inside or outside of bankruptcy. The other, the number two thing that, that, that companies especially are afraid of is telling their lender what's going on. Um, in my view, there is no substitute for clear and concise communications. It lets you tell your story. Avoiding lender calls is not likely to work, nor is hiding the ball. It just makes them aggravated. It makes them harder to work with. Uh, now, will that work every time? Of course not. You will get your very angry lender every once in a while, but nine times out of 10, they will appreciate that you're being honest and truthful with them because believe it or not, they don't want to be in bankruptcy or in litigation any more than you do. And if they trust the information source, they are going to work with you. And like I said, every single time, like we can't tell our bank. And I usually say, no, they're probably more likely to be your partner than your enemy if you work with them. And, you know, isn't there a way that they can, like through credit reporting and through asset searches, isn't there a way that, that lenders can 
look and see what you got? Like they they can they can do a pretty good approximation of what you have, right? Absolutely. It's if you're missing your if you're missing payments, you will get reported on. And I always tell people the best time to tell them is even before you have a default on your loan, before you start missing payments, and say, "Look, we have we anticipate some issues coming up. Will you work with us, please, um, to get there?" Because again, some people call that a high risk approach because if the lender says no, you accelerated your demise, so to speak. But very rarely does that turn out to be the case. Again, if you have a good relationship with your lender then it's almost always going to work. And if you have a media, a fair relationship with your lender, most of them are going to appreciate you coming forward with them and figuring out a way, whether it's a, a refinancing um, or, or a sale transaction, you'll get the time you need if you show the lender you're making progress towards getting them paid as opposed to um, avoiding their calls. And don't ever, ever give them false borrowing-based certificates. Mm. Um we see that all too frequently where they'll they're either late or they overstate inventory or accounts receivable and then the bank comes into a dozen audit and all all heck breaks loose yeah that's not good that's definitely not good all right so now your your practice because it's it's a federal practice you can get involved in in bankruptcy matters all over correct correct how do you how do cases come to you? What's how do you how do you grow your business? They come for me all over the place, believe it or not. The number one um, place they come is other lawyers. Um, there's a number of lawyers who um, are with firms that don't do bankruptcy work, and they are by far our most frequent referral sources. Um, another one is the banks themselves. When we um when we are represent, they know what they get with uh, with our firm, and so they will. They would rather have their borrowers represented um, by someone like us than someone who has a burn the bank down type attitude. Um, they appreciate our transactional approach. Others are financial advisors, um, kind of like your sponsor, Sandrowski, and firms like them. Um, they are also a frequent source of business. Okay. And then what do they need to know in order to get the business to you? Like how, what's the, what, what is their, what is their criteria like usually? What, what are they looking for? Well, I think what they are looking for is someone who's very experienced in business transactions, who's creative as to possible solutions to get out. Because a lot of people focus on the word bankruptcy, but there's something called assignment for the benefit of creditors, which is we call poor man's bankruptcy because it's, it's a whole lot cheaper. There's a, a consensual Article 9 of the UCC, which is kind of the foreclosure proceedings outside of court altogether where you work with your lender. Or there's no proceeding at all. You work with everyone and just liquidate your assets. I think they want someone who can bring a creative problem-solving problem approach as opposed to file for bankruptcy. Because I think I said earlier in the show, filing for bankruptcy is usually good for me not so good for for the customer or for the um, company so we try and look for ways to avoid it and harold how did you get into this what uh what led you to this particular practice so that's an interesting question i actually started out my professional career as an accountant um, I, I was an auditor and then i went to law school and I started, I enjoyed the bankruptcy classes because they were a little bit of a mix of the bankruptcy and the transactional, and it moves a lot faster than litigation. 
Um, so I really enjoyed that part of the law, and I clerked for a couple of years at the bankruptcy court, including for the chief judge of the bankruptcy court. And through there, I kind of met the bankruptcy lawyers in in Chicago, and that's that's kind of how it started. It was um, really a way to combine my business and legal backgrounds. Yeah, that's great. That's really that's really interesting. Explain to folks, if you don't mind, and I should have asked this earlier, but I, I didn't think of it until you just mentioned it now. Explain to folks the role of the trustee and what you do with a bankruptcy trustee, how you interact with a bankruptcy trustee, because people may hear this term a lot and very few people know what it means if they don't practice law. Correct. So it's important to distinguish between two types of trustees. The first is the Office of the United States Trustee. They're the bankruptcy watchdog. They're in every single case, making sure that all sides are complying with the provisions of the bankruptcy code. Then there's the trustee that gets appointed in a Chapter 7 case, and that person is really responsible for the liquidation of the assets. And so when you're representing a company, you kind of hand the assets off to the trustee and just make sure your client doesn't get in trouble kind of down the road, but the trustee kind of takes over. And in a Chapter 11 case, the trustee actually operates the business. Now, we very rarely see a Chapter 11 trustee because the primary reason people file for Chapter 11, right, is to keep their businesses and to continue to operate them. But when there's been gross fraud or heavy mismanagement, that's when a Chapter 11 trustee gets appointed. So it's often a tool used by creditors who distrust management. If they lied, you know, um, insurance fraud, bank fraud, anything where they've really grossly mismanaged the company, the creditors will move for the appointment of a Chapter 11 trustee. And uh, this may be a silly question, but I, you know, I just thought of it while you were talking and I, I guess I never asked it of anyone that I, that I've talked to or that I've worked with, who's a, who's a bankruptcy attorney. Why don't people, if you have no assets, right? Why don't people just close their business and tell the creditors, hey, listen, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I can't afford a lawyer. I know you're going to get a judgment, but I really don't have any assets. I'll show you my books. What, what, what's the, what's the harm in doing something like that? Nothing. In fact, in COVID, can't tell you how many clients we advise just to do that. Just um, close. Just close your doors and, and go on with your life. And almost every time nothing happens, right? You write a letter to your creditors saying, we've closed our doors. We have no assets. Thank you for your support over the years. And at least a half a dozen times in the last two years, never did anyone come back to me with a, a lawsuit. Um, some people don't just can't live with that possible uncertainty. So they don't want to do it that way. And they want the certainty that a bankruptcy provides, or at least more certainty. And they're willing to pay for that. But if it's really that simple, where you have a few trade creditors that aren't owed that much money, so they're not going to pursue it. You have a landlord that is is owed money, but you know they can't come after you for anything. There's no personal guarantee. We we shut the doors. Yeah. Um, which, which was very sad, but it happened... That's actually why some of the bankruptcy numbers aren't as high as some people thought they were going to be during COVID, was many businesses did just what you said, closed their doors and moved on. Yeah. And I think a lot of creditors gave people a lot more time because 
they realize that people are not going to stay, they're not going to be out of business forever, right? That eventually, you know, even, even some hospitality businesses are starting to come back now. So they're not going to be out of business forever. Eventually, they're, you know, it's better to have a dialogue and, and not try and really expedite things and force them into bankruptcy by suing them and creating more bills, like legal bills that they can't pay. So they gave a lot of people more leeway. All right, Harold, so what is, what is your competitive advantage? Why should people call you versus anybody else? I know I can think of at least one thing, but give us, give us what your clients have told you is your competitive advantage. Primarily my responsiveness and my relationships. I've been doing this for a long time. And so it's very often I've either worked with or against the attorney on the other side. I have a relationship with person with them. I know they know me. I know them. We have a, a relationship based on trust that is um, that can get them through a difficult situation. Um, that's probably, and, and I'm incredibly responsive. Um, if you, well, email, and I also, I also think you eat, sleep and breathe these numbers. I mean, you're, you're a bankruptcy attorney and a CPA. I mean, yes. I can't think of anybody who's more the opposite of me than you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, being you're the exact the person tell. I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I tell my tax lawyer all the time, listen, I want a conservative tax lawyer. I don't right. want a progressive tax lawyer. I want a guy who never wants to pay taxes. If if I have a bankruptcy issue, I want you. You're the guy who <laughs> loves the numbers. I can't stand the numbers. You're the perfect person for me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Harold, I want to give you a minute. I want you to think about the three things we should take away from our time together today. What are three things that the people who are listening, the people who are watching should take away from our time together today? I'm going to remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski, uh, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. They've been working really hard to help people plan for their future when it comes to their taxes for over 35 years. They also help people who are involved in all kinds of controversy work. So for example, if there's a litigation matter and you heard Harold mention it, if you need to value a business, there's something at issue and the value, the very value of the business is at issue. For example, two partners have a dispute and they want to split up. One partner says the business is worth X. The other partner says the business is worth Y. You want the best accountant to, to evaluate the business, to be prepared to do everything possible to make sure down to the penny that the they know what the business is worth. And then you need people who can testify to what they've seen in court in a way that is so simple, even a judge can understand it. I said it, Harold didn't, right? Well, Sandrowski is the firm for you. They have a number of people in their firm who do this. The one that I work, the person that I work with the most is a gentleman by the name of John Alfonsi. He's a partner over there and he does this all the time and he's great at it. He can take complex financial issues and break them down and make them very easy to understand. He's actually a professor and he does this all the time. So if you need help with something like this or with another tax matter that involves your business, or if you need help with a tax matter or tax exposure, in your personal life, I want you to call Sandrowski. The number is 866-717-1607. That's 866-717-1607. Also remember, I've got a free offer for you, free gift, my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, download your business development plan. It is a business development plan that's relationship-based. You can grow your book of business with my Revenue Roadmap Guide. It's the same guide I use with my clients. Get it right now. It's my gift to you, revenueroadmapguide.com. Harold Israel is our guest today. He's a partner at Levenfeld Perlstein LLC. He helps people 
who are in trouble from a financial standpoint. He also helps people who need to get money from people who are in trouble. You can give him a call at 312-476-7573-312-476-7573. His email and his bio, all his contact information is down in the show notes. Okay, Harold, what are the three things folks should take away from our time together? I would say number one is clear, concise, and honest communication. Creditors have heard every excuse in the books. If they could smell a rat, they're going to go after it. So it's better to be clear, concise communications. Number two is time is not your friend. Waiting for that extra sale rarely works. If you see problems coming up, don't delay. Call us sooner rather than later. And three you're thinking about transferring those assets to your uncle's company your brother's company don't do it it'll come back to haunt you ah great advice harold israel thank you so much it was great to have you with us today i bet you saved several people from sleepless nights with the advice you've given today thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for having it much having me much appreciated dave all righty folks that'll do it for another episode of the inside bs show we'll be back here again tomorrow with another interview until we speak again i'm dave lorenzo and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life